This message this afternoon I have entitled How to Face Today's Social and Economic Uncertainty. Once again, um, it's a subject that we could spend a couple of hours on, um, one hour on each subject, which I've done in the past, but today condensing both together um, in about 45 minutes or so, and I pray that we'll be able to get the main important point out of it. I want to begin by um, going to the ancient city of Pompeii. Um, 2010, had an opportunity of going to the ancient city of Pompeii. There it's located in Italy, about two and a half hours um, southeast of Rome. Where's Rome? There it is. Rome's there. And just down there on the bay, um, beautiful, beautiful part of the world um, is the city of Pompeii. Here it is, um, city of Pompeii. That's just a, a view from above. As you walk through the streets of Pompeii, you discover that it's just incredibly well preserved. Why is that? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But um, yeah, the, the buildings were just built to last. Beautiful structures, um, beautiful homes that the locals lived in. They were very wealthy. It was a very wealthy city of about 20,000 people there um, in ancient Rome. This was a bakery there, the local bakery. Um, this was the local McDonald's uh, fast food outlet. Yeah, this is where people came to buy their Maccas or their KFC, um, just there on the on the street. This is um, one of the one of the amphitheaters where plays and where where individuals would sing and and orate and so forth. This is the the Colosseum. Um, sits almost twenty thousand people, so there was room enough for almost every single uh, resident of Pompeii. It really was like the Las Vegas. It was kind of like the Gold Coast um, of the Roman world where the rich and famous lived and retirees and so forth people. And you, you were there to live it up. It was kind of like Sin City. And this, in fact, is uh, the bathhouses, uh, the brothels. Uh, this is inside one brothel um, there. And these are the words... They're not in English, but I've, I've scribbled them down. I asked the tour guide, I said, what are those words up there? And he said, the words are Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. If you know anything about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll know that they, they were steeped in immorality, like, like major immorality. Um, the word sodomy comes from uh, the city of Sodom. Uh, pagan temples and uh, pagan idols just throughout the city of Pompeii. Why has the ancient city of Pompeii been so well preserved? After 2,000 years, it's like you're going back then 2,000 years ago. It's so well preserved. Well, the reason is this mountain that overlooks the city of Pompeii, Mount Vesuvius. Mount Vesuvius blew its lid in 79 AD, burying the city of Pompeii in about three meters of ash and lava. The city remained dormant. It remained buried for 1,700 years until its discovery in the 18th century, some 250 years ago. Now, what's fascinating when you read, on, when you read up on the city of Pompeii and its destruction, you discover, as I did, as I went to this BBC um, article, that the people of Pompeii were actually warned before Vesuvius erupted and buried the city and buried them. Notice these words from this um, article written by Professor Andrew Wallace, Portents of Disaster, Pompeii, 
The people of Pompeii were quite unprepared for the eruption of Vesuvius, getting on with their busy lives in total ignorance of what was to come. The signs of impending disaster, though, were there. Why did no one pick up on them? Interesting. We read on, the unexpected catastrophe, it is certain that when the eruption of Vesuvius started on the morning of 24th of August, AD 79, it caught the local population utterly unprepared. Although, at the same time, as we now know in retrospect, all the telltale signs were there to warn them. They had plenty of warning that the mountain was about to blow its top. But guess what they believed? Ah, nothing big's gonna happen. Mount Vesuvius has erupted in the past and we have managed to be all fine. This was one um, comment from a historian back in the day, 2,000 years ago. Can't remember what the historian's name is, but he's quoted in this article as saying, the sighting of a column of smoke triggered a response more of curiosity than alarm. Curiosity than alarm. Sounds like the story of Tilly Smith that we heard of um, earlier on in our first presentation. Here they are. Um, corpses, these are actual people um, that were buried um, as Mount Vesuvius blew its top. You got a feel for this person here. You can just imagine those final thoughts going through this person's mind. It's too late. It's too late. I had an opportunity to escape, but I didn't. It is too late. And um, resigned to the fact that this is it. Sadly, the citizens of Pompeii failed to heed the warning signs and thousands perished. Today, we want to once again go to the ancient city of Jerusalem, where Jesus, 2,000 years ago, shortly before the destruction of Pompeii, gave us messages of warning, messages of love, to prepare us for what was coming to this earth, to prepare those who would especially be the final generation to welcome Jesus at his second coming. So as always, we want to begin with prayer before we open up God's word, because I believe, I truly believe with all my heart that this book is not just another book. Yes, the Bible, the word Bible means book. Did you know that? The word Bible actually means book. That's what the word means. But this is not just some ordinary book. I believe that this book has in it eternal life, eternal life because it's the Word of God Himself. And so whenever we open up the Word of God Himself, we need the God that inspired this book, this Bible, to guide us, to lead us, to impress upon us the words that are so important for you and I to know this afternoon. So let's pause and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you so much for the warnings of love that you give to us in your Word. Oh, oh how horrible it would be to be unprepared for your soon return, to be unprepared and to be caught unawares and miss out on the greatest event of human history, which is your second coming. So I pray, Father, as we open your word, that you will open our hearts and our minds, that we may understand what your message is for us, for this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen and Amen. Now, what is the all-important purpose of the signs that Jesus gave us? Was it was it simply to feed our curiosity? Was it simply for you and I to say, well, I know something you don't know? No, that's not the main reason. Jesus told us in John 14, 29, he said, and now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it does come to pass, you may what? Believe. The whole purpose of Jesus giving us signs, very clear 
signs, unmistakable signs, is that when we see these things taking place before our very eyes, when we join the dots, when we look at the graphs, when we look at the statistics, that we who are very skeptical by nature, I don't know about you, but I'm a skeptical person by nature. Anyone here skeptical? Absolutely. Absolutely. You should be. If I turned up at your door and told and, and said to you, if you give me $1,000 today, I'll bring back 10000 tomorrow. You should be like, out of here, son. <laughs> Hit the road, Jack. <laughs> we are by nature skeptical and by nature we doubt. That's just what we are like, okay, through life experience. So Jesus knows that. So he says, I know you're skeptical. I know that you doubt. I know that you need hard evidence. That's why I'm giving you these signs so that when you see the things that I have said coming to pass that you may what? Believe. And what does John 3.16 tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the ultimate aim of Bible prophecy is that you and I may put our faith and trust in Jesus and his word and that we may believe and by believing that we might be saved. Is that clear? Yes or no? Absolutely. That is the main purpose. If you miss that, you've missed the whole reason why Jesus gave us Bible prophecy. Jesus urged us to watch and to be ready, as we discovered in our previous presentation. In Matthew 24, verses 42 and 44, Jesus says, Watch and be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So that's what we want to continue to do in this presentation. We want to watch some more. That's what Jesus said. Watch. So we want to be faithful to what he said. Signs you can't ignore. In our previous presentation, we discovered that Jesus gave us very clear signs in the political world, in the world of nature, and today we want to take a look at signs in the social world, in the world of society. This is such a huge subject. I can literally spend two hours on this subject and you will not be bored and you will and will still not be able to extinguish the amount of change that has taken place in the world in this area alone. So let's take a look and see if the labour pains have done what? Intensified in frequency and <coughs> intensity. Very good. Let's see. You're very good. You're very good. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, he said, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And what are those next words? Did not... No, until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be just like that before I come. Unmistakable language. You don't need to read between the lines. You don't need to be a scholar. You don't need to be a Bible student. You can just be a five-year-old and understand this unmistakable language that Jesus uses. Jesus said, as it was in Noah's day, it's going to be just like that before I return. They were not ready then, they won't be ready when I come. By and large, eight people were saved in Noah's day. Sadly, the majority will be lost at the end of time. Not because they didn't know, it's because they chose not to take seriously the warning signs, the preparation, and to ultimately receive Jesus, which we're going to get to at the end. Now, what was it like in Noah's day? The first thing we discover that it was business as usual. She'll be right, mate. Anyone here heard she'll be right, mate? 
<laughs> Do we live in a country where it's she'll be right, mate? Just put another shrimp on the wall. Pass me another beer. You know, you know how we live here in Australia. I'm telling you, if I would have advertised free beer and dancing girls here in the Carry On Community Centre, we would have packed this place 10 times over. True? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we live in a world like in the days of Noah. What were they doing? Eating, drinking, and marrying. Is there anything wrong with marrying? No. Well, I guess it depends who you marry. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. Life was going on business as usual. That's simply what Jesus was saying. People were preoccupied with the here and now, having a good time, here for a good time and not a long time. Secondly, we discover from the days of Noah that the earth was filled with violence and corruption. How do we know that? Well, we go back to the story of Noah and what took place there. In Genesis 6:11. we read these words. The earth also was what? Corrupt before God and the earth was filled with what? Violence. Do we live in a world where there is corruption? Apart from our government here in Australia, there's corruption in all other governments around the world. True? No. no. <laughs> there's corruption everywhere. Isn't that true? There's corruption in politics. There's corruption in business. Sadly, there's even corruption in church. God forbid, but that is true. That is true. Because you're dealing with humans, selfish humans that are alive and well everywhere. Is there violence today? Absolutely. There's violence on TV. There's violent video games. There's violence on the internet. There's, there's violence in the home. One to two women are killed by their husbands or partners every week in Australia. Horrible domestic violence. And the list goes on and on. I mean, we tell our kids that violence is bad. We tell, we, we, we tell little Billy not to hit Harry and it's wrong. But then we're at the sporting field and guess what? When there's a biff going on at the rugby, what do we do? We cheer. Yeah, go get him. And little Billy sees dad cheering, go get him. And he's like, why don't I do that to my little brother? <laughs> and so kids are getting mixed messages. They're watching cartoons and da-di-da-di-da. Violence. Kids who kill. This was from US News Magazine, front cover back in 1991, many moons ago. What's behind the epidemic of teenage murder? I wonder. I wonder if television and movies and violent video games, I wonder, I just wonder if that's got anything at all to do with, with the increase in violence today. We live in a violent society. Unlike any other time in human history, we now are entertained by violence 24-7. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Let me give you this this sober, this sober statistic, this is from, once again, Time magazine, um, looking at, at the Las Vegas shooting, which you don't need to be reminded of, that took place just last year in October. This was inside, and it looked at where America is as far as um, guns and, and violence. These were the, the worst, so this is not all of them, this is not all the deaths um, from, from mass shootings and injuries, this is just um, some significant ones for each year. Have a look at the graph. Have a look at the last one. Yeah, look at that. That's way up there. Notice this. You can't read it there, but it says more frequent and more what? Sounds like those labor pains, doesn't it? This is straight out of Time magazine. This is not out of the Bible. I didn't make this up. This is not on some conspiracy website. This is straight out of Time magazine, the most respected news magazine on the planet. 
Total mass shooting deaths and injuries by year highlighting the most, so not all of them, the most fatal incidents, killed or injured. Check, check it out this one. It's up there. It's gone through the roof. And we just had one the other day, didn't we? And you know what? We, we hear about this all the time. We see it on the news all the time. Another one, and we're like, oh, well, you know, so sad. But we don't even, we don't. In America, they have one mass shooting a week. One a week. But we only hear of the major ones that happen in a high school or in a kindergarten, God forbid, and so on and so forth. What else did Jesus say? In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound. Is there lawlessness today? Absolutely. We live in a lawless society. This individual here, um, Arnold Toynbee, a historian, probably the, the most well-known historian of the 20th century, written hundreds of books, hundreds of articles. He did a major research project called A Study of History, 12 volumes. Why do they disintegrate and collapse? He looked at 20 civilizations that have grown to significance and then collapsed like the Roman Empire. And he asked the question, why do they disintegrate and collapse? And the number one reason was lawlessness leads to destruction. That's it. And guess what? We're living in a world where there is lawlessness and ultimately the writings on the wall, the writings on the wall. That is why the coming of Jesus is the only solution. The only solution. These are my grandparents. Here's my grandma. They celebrated 70 years of marriage last year. That's not a bad innings, eh? 70 years. Anyone here got 70 years? No? 70 years of marriage. And um, yeah, we, we had a wonderful time celebrating their day. They're just, they're just wonderful. I just have to take a picture with them. Do you know what the secret to their marriage is, was, and always will be? This on the wedding cake, a Bible. A Bible. We got the whole family together and we celebrated and it was such a wonderful occasion. But do you know what? There's going to be fewer and fewer 60 and 70 anniversaries. Isn't that true? There's going to be fewer and fewer and fewer. The reason being, Jesus went on and said, the love of many will what? Grow cold. Is the love of many growing cold today? Absolutely. Almost one in two, sadly, today experience separation and divorce. And I'm sure there are many here in this room right now that have gone through the pain, the, the pain and the suffering associated with divorce. It's never been like this before, has it? And today, today, so many are choosing not even to marry. Isn't that true? They're choosing not to marry. They don't want to go through what their parents have gone through because there is just so much uncertainty when it comes to marriage and the family, and obviously, sadly, the children, thousands of them, in their millions, um, are caught up in the crossfire. Uh, statistics from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, you know, we had the census a year or two ago. The census showed that 40% of teenagers are growing up in a home without their two biological parents in Australia. 40%. That's enormous, enormous. In the days of Noah, there was a population explosion. Notice these words, Genesis 6.1. And it came to pass when men began to do what? Multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. Do we have a population explosion today? Absolutely. In case you're wondering, check this out. 
This is the world population graph from the year, well, 2,000 years ago, the time of Jesus, all the way up until our day. Can you see what's taking place with the graph? What's happening to those labor pains? They are intensifying, isn't that right? In frequency and in intensity. Have a look. It took us 1,800 years from the time of Christ to get to a billion people. Just over 100 years before we got to our second billion. And then you can take a look. And now it's taking us about 10, 11, 12 years to add another billion people to our planet. This has never been the case before. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, when people were multiplying exponentially, it's going to be just like that before I return. Notice this, from the little green handbook, um, A Guide to Critical Global Trends by Ron Nielsen, written in 2005. Um, not a Christian, okay, not a Bible believer, but notice what he had to say as he analysed our world population explosion. These are his words. The population explosion came what? Suddenly. Sounds like labor pains. Isn't that right? You know you're pregnant, but do you know when those labor pains are going to strike? No, you don't. Unless you're induced, you have no idea. Is it going to be now? Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be next week? Is it going to be in three days' time? You've got no idea. You know you're pregnant. You know it's going to happen, but you don't know exactly when. It happens suddenly. That's exactly what Jesus said. It'll come suddenly. It took the world by what? Surprise. And we are still not sure how to react or how it will end, except that it will leave a great deal of damage behind. We are not even sure of surviving it. I'm telling you, it's caught the world by surprise. Did it catch me by surprise? No. Why? Because Jesus told us this 2,000 years ago. This is not news to me. He gave us a heads up. I was expecting this. And you ought to be too, as we take a look at the words of Jesus. Finally, there's so much more I could share on the days of Noah, but we don't have time. There were scoffers and skeptics in the days of Noah. Noah was saying, he was preaching for 120 years that there was a flood coming. And they were like, yeah, whatever, flood, flood. Do you know what? It hadn't rained ever before the flood. No rain ever. There'd just been a mist and a dew that watered the earth. No rain. So they're like, why are you building this big boat? There's a flood coming. <laughs> flood coming, yeah, right. Send Noah to the hospital, someone, please. Do him a favor. Do us all a favor. Then the animals started making their way into the ark just before the doors closed. Noah's pleading. There's a flood coming. The only safety is in the ark. They saw the warning signs. I mean, these animals were coming in two by two mysteriously. When does that happen? When do you see animals walking down the road in their pairs, two by two, as if led by some mysterious... When do you see that? You don't see that. That had never happened before. They saw the signs, they had the evidence, and they chose to ignore the evidence to their own peril. Notice, the Apostle Peter speaks of the days of Noah and he's speaking of the people in the days of Noah and he's comparing them to the people at the end of time. That's the context. You can go home and read it. Notice these words from 2 Peter 3.3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in what days? The last days. The la are we living in the last days? Yes, we are, based on what we've seen thus far. Walking according to their own lusts. In other words, 
all they care about is, I'm here for a good time and not a long time. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, as the Bible says. You know, that's people are here just living it up and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Please, ever since God created this world, things have been going on. Nothing's changed. Why hasn't Jesus come? This is why I believe Jesus hasn't come. Notice these words in verse 9. For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Talking about the second coming, the promise of the second coming. Jesus is not slack. He's not delaying without a purpose. Why is the second coming delayed? Why hasn't Jesus come yet? Have a look at these words. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should what? perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason why Jesus hasn't come yet is because he wants one more precious person to get saved, to be saved. That's the reason why he hasn't come. He's leaving the door open. Why did Noah preach for 120 years? Noah could have preached for 12 days. He didn't need to preach for 120 years. The message wasn't different. He didn't need a whole series of lectures. He only had one message. There's a flood coming. It's going to destroy everything on the planet. Your only hope is in the ark. How long did that take to say? Ten seconds? He just had to say that a half a dozen times. Word would have got out. You would have texted your friend. It would have gone on social media and everybody would have known. And people lived in the same area back then. People were not spread out like they are today. Everyone was pretty much in the same geographical area. Word got out. 120 years. Why? Because God is long-suffering. He gave them year. Oh, give them one more year. Give them one more year. Give them another year. Maybe one more year. Maybe they'll give their hearts. Maybe one more year. And after 120 years, God said, I can't. Enough. And Jesus will come when he says, enough. Enough. God is long-suffering. But the day is going to come when Jesus will say, I have seen enough suffering, sin, and sorrow. And there has been enough death destruction and disease there has been enough it's time to pull the plug it's time to bring an end to this painful experience it's time to usher in my second coming jesus is waiting for you and waiting for me he's waiting for us to tell those around us that there is no plan b apart from the coming of jesus that's it there's no other plan there's no other solution i don't have it let's take a look at signs in the economic world wow Whew. This is something that affects us all. Well, both these affect us all. Jesus went on in this time in Luke 17, verse 28 and 30, likewise as it was in the days of who? Lot. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, it's going to be just like that before I come. Now, in the days of Lot, we don't have time to get into this. In the days of Lot, there was gross immorality. There was gross violence. Okay, that's what the Bible says as it describes the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. But most people don't realize what else was the disease of Sodom and Gomorrah. We have a clue, well, more than a clue, we have, we have the words here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 49, that describes another aspect to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. God here is speaking to his people Israel and he's comparing them to the people of Sodom. And he says, Sodom, that is, she and her daughter, Gomorrah, 
had pride, fullness of food, an abundance of idleness. And notice these words, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Very, very interesting. What the Bible says is that Sodom and Gomorrah was a wealthy city. And they were. They were right there in a very wealthy and prosperous part of the world. The Bible says it was very prosperous. And that's why Lot chose to go in that direction because it was really good there. That was the, where the good life was. The people were very prosperous. They had a lot of food. But this part here did not care about the needy. I've got a whole heap. You don't. Bad luck. Too bad. So sad. That was their attitude. That was their attitude. Let's take a look at what's taking place in the world right now. Back to that Time Magazine article, what happened between 2000 and 2010. Notice this statistic. In the year 2000, there were 300 billionaires in the world. How many here are billionaires? And no one put up their, no one put up their hand. In the year 2010, that had more than tripled to 1,000 billionaires. At the same time, the undernourished, okay, let's just say the super poor, the ones that go to bed hungry every night, in the year 2000, there were 857 million. In the year 2010, there were 925 million. 75 million more people were hungry 10 years later. Now you're thinking 75 million, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? I'll tell you what's the big deal. That's three Australias. That's the population of Australia three times over are more hungry in 2010 than they were in the year 2000. While at the same time, the billionaires, do you want to know where the billionaire list is right now? 1,800 billionaires in 2018. So the billionaires since the year 2000 have gone up by 600%. Hello? Does that make your mind boggle? Certainly does mine. All right, you want more? You want some more evidence of this gap between the rich and the poor, which I'm sure we're all well aware, but check this out. This will blow your socks off. This is from Oxfam. Back in 2016, this BBC article, Oxfam says, wealthiest rich 1% equal to the other 99%. That is, 1% of this world's population owns as much as 99% of the world's population. Okay? Have you heard of the rich 1%? Okay? There was that big, those big protests in New York and so on and, and around the world that Occupy Wall Street. You remember that? Occupy Wall Street? You don't? There's too many things that have happened in the news since then. We kind of get a bit overawed. We kind of, it kind of becomes all a bit, of a, a bit of a jumbled mess. This absolutely blew me away. I knew about the 1% owning as much as the rest of the world, but I had no idea how, this, how, how bad this was. The richest 62 people in the world are as wealthy as half the world's population. So let me, let me put it up here. Here's the graph. 62 people in the world own as much as 3.8 billion people. I know, I know. It's like, you've got to look twice. 62 people, 62. 10 times 6 plus 2. 62. <laughs> own as much as 3.8 billion people in the world. That has never, ever been the case in all of human history. That we've had so few that owned so much and so many that owned so little. 
There you go. Have a look at the numbers. That's the poor, and they're going backwards. Look at the poor. The 50% the, the of the world's population, they're going backwards. The super rich, they are going gung-ho. Check this out. In 2010, 388 people in the world owned as much as half the world's population. That went down to 177 the following year in 2011, 159 in 2012, and so on and so forth until we get to 62. So can you see what's going on? Fewer and fewer people are owning more and more. Can you see what God said, what Jesus said, those contractions have intensified. This is, this, these are the statistics. The book of James actually describes our day to a T. Notice these words in James chapter 5, verses 1 and onwards we read, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. All right, he's talking to the super duper rich here. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in what days? The last days. Have 62 people in the world heaped up a lot of treasure? Absolutely. Let's keep reading. Indeed. Notice these words. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay. What James here is saying is that those who are working in sweatshops, sleeping on concrete floors, earning a dollar or two a day, producing runners, clothes, for those who live in the Western world, they're getting paid a dollar or two a day, while those that are profiting off their back are getting paid what? Billions and billions and billions. Instead of paying them a decent wage so that they can have decent housing, decent life. Who cares? Give them as little as possible that there may be as much possible in my pocket. God says, their cries, their cries have reached my ears. What does that mean? That means God's about to act. When God says the cries of those who are being done unjustly, Reach my ears, it's about time for me to act and respond. We know that because of what follows next. Have a look at this. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Pretty serious language. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. How can he resist you? How can he resist you? It's impossible. Therefore, here we go, here we go. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of who? The Lord. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is what? At hand. When you see this horrible injustice between the haves and the have-nots, you can know, you can be certain that my coming is about to take place. God is long-suffering, but God has a limit. God has a, what did I say? He has a limit, just like parents. I'm a parent. I'm very long-suffering with my girls and I was telling someone while we were having refreshments that I, uh, I did my best to have my wife do all the disciplining. So that way I could be seen as the fun dad that took the kids to the park. <laughs> but you know what? There were times when my patience was exhausted and my long-suffering was exhausted and I had to take my hand and warm up my daughter's behind in order to lighten up what was up here. 
Is that true? How many of you have had to do that? Absolutely, absolutely. And so God says, the day's coming when I'm going to say enough is enough. We are living in that time. We are living in that time. It's never been like this. Trust me, I have been to Africa a number of times running seminars like this. In Africa, every year I go, the rich are getting richer, they've got bigger homes, and the poor are getting poorer. Every year, absolutely every year, right around the world. In Australia, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. There's a huge economic earthquake coming. Did you know that? It's massive. Massive, massive, massive. No one's going to tell you about it because that will just create panic, absolute panic. But I don't have time to go into all the details. I don't have time to give you the statistics. Probably just as well I don't have time. Otherwise, you won't be able to sleep tonight. But there's a massive economic earthquake coming to the Western world and to the world. The Bible actually talks about that. The book of Revelation talks about that. Jesus talked about the time of tribulation. Uh, Daniel talks about a time of trouble such as the world has never seen. So the Bible talks about it. This was a fascinating front cover. The next recession and where to hide. Where do you hide? Where do you hide when the economic earthquake that's going to make the Great Depression look like a kindergarten in the park. When that happens, where are you going to hide? Where am I going to hide? Where are we going to hide? There's only one place to hide. This is where I'm going to hide. I don't know about you, but this is where I'm going to hide. Psalm 91 verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my what? Refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will what? Trust. I'm going to hide in God. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Him, in Him alone. I'm not counting on my superannuation. I'm not counting on my pension. I'm not counting on my wage. I'm not counting on Centrelink. I'm not counting on any of that. I am putting all of my faith and trust in God. Amen? That's it. I'm putting all of my faith and trust in God. That's where David went. That's where I am going. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6 verse 19? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or neither the stock market or the superannuation fund or the housing market. You fill in the blank. And where thieves do not break in and steal. But notice, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I am putting my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm putting my faith and trust in the heavenly kingdom. I'm putting my faith and trust in the second coming of Jesus. That is why I go here, there and everywhere in Australia and overseas. I go sharing the same message that there is only one place that you and I can put our faith and trust in. And that is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. I want to finish off by sharing with you the tragic story and what we can learn from it that took place there in my home state in Victoria. I don't need to remind you what took place on Black Saturday, February 7, 2009. Uh, the worst natural disaster in Australian history claimed 173 lives on that day, Black Saturday. Horrendous, horrendous. There was an inquiry that took place in order to determine if anything could have been done to prevent so many deaths. 173 Australians lost their lives. And do you know what was absolutely gut-wrenching 
For me, when I read the news report, when I read the inquiry's findings, was what I'm about to share with you now. This is from the Australian newspaper. Black Saturday bushfire victims died defending their houses. Many of the 113 people who died inside houses on Black Saturday were actively defending their properties and not passively, not passively sheltering from bushfires. The Royal Commission investigating the disaster was told today. How tragic. 113 people were there busy trying to protect their homes. You can understand that. You can understand that. These people have spent their lives on this particular property. They've invested their lives, their resources, their energy. They wanted to save their home. They wanted to preserve their possessions. And they did all they could to actively, not passively hide, but actively defend their homes. But in the process of defending their homes, they lost their lives. 113 people. In the past, we have never had that many individuals try and save their homes, the report went on and said. This reminded me of the words of Jesus, who said in Matthew 16, 26, for what profit is it to a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world and loses his or her own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What profit for you to gain the whole world? What profit is there for you to be one of the billionaires, one of the 1,800 billionaires in this world and for you to lose eternal life? Jesus says there's no profit in that. There's no profit in that. You and I have been invited to store up our treasure, our heavenly treasure in heaven. That's the only place. That's the only place where there is security. There is no security anywhere else. No security anywhere else. Jesus is building you a home far more beautiful than you can imagine. And this is what he shares with his disciples. This is what he shares with us. On the night before his crucifixion, these words, John 14, verse 1 to 3, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I will come again. Not I might come again. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. What good news is that? That's the home that I'm looking forward to. Whether you're renting, whether you live in a mansion, whether you live in a shed, whether you live in a tent, whether you live in a swag, whether you live under a tree, it matters not where you live here on this earth. Who cares about what you own and what you don't own? What matters is, will you be residing in your heavenly home that has been prepared for you, that has your name on it? That's the question, the all-important question that you and I need to respond to. And I'm praying that you and I will respond to that. I'm praying that as we see these things falling apart, all around us, as we see the economy going up and down like a roller coaster, that we will see all these signs as, as evidence that we need to put more of our faith and trust in Jesus. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your awesome love. We want to thank you for the Bible. Where would we be without the Bible? We would be like a ship without an anchor. We would be stranded with no direction 
um, just wandering aimlessly through life, just panicking from one situation to another without hope, uh, without purpose, without meaning. Father, where would we be without Jesus? I thank you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his word. We thank you that the labor pains of this planet are about to come to an end and that we're about to see Jesus. It's my earnest prayer that every single person here today, every single person that may watch this on DVD or on the internet or however they may see it, I pray that each person will put their faith and trust in you alone, Lord, for you alone can be trusted in such a time as this. Bless us now, we pray, as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.